What's going on, Eastern Current fans? We are here with another episode. Um, excited about tonight's show. Got a great guest on. Before we get started, be sure to go check out Eastern Current Fishing on Facebook. It's a great place to, uh, to it's a group we've got on there. It's a great place to meet you know other listeners, other anglers, kind of bounce ideas off each other, make, maybe make a fishing buddy or two. Um, it's a good good spot to, to network and connect. Also, go check out our Patreon page. Uh, we have a lot of extra content on there with each of our guests. Um, and as we get back into the spring season, we're going to be putting some more updated content on there as well. Uh, and that's just a great way to help support this podcast if you do really like the show, as well as get some extra content. So uh, it's just 5 to $10 a month. Yeah, you can do a custom donation, uh, but but, but our, our tiers are just $5 a month or $10 a month. So super easy, super cheap, uh, and we do really appreciate that. But uh, we're going to talk about speckled trout fishing in the Chesapeake Bay. And as I always say with, with uh, speckled trout fishing or really any fishery, you know, just because it's not the area that you necessarily fish doesn't mean there's not a lot that you can learn from someone who fishes that area or, you know, the fishing tactics that are used in that area. I think that's how we can really better ourselves as anglers is being more diverse and kind of spreading out and, and learning different tactics, different styles, different areas. So uh, without me talking too much more, we're going to bring on Chris Newsom. What's going on, man? Hey, how's it going? Going good. You guys, just full full disclosure here. This is our second recording. We got about 20 minutes in, and it dumped us off and deleted everything. So uh, hopefully this one goes through through well. This is just, you know, during the pandemic, I think everyone's streaming at night, and uh, it's kind of hard to sometimes. It was recording perfectly up until then, though, so we'll, we'll see. Fingers crossed. Knock on wood. Uh, we'll get through this one, no problem. But uh, give everyone kind of your backstory, how you got into fishing and, and, and how you got, you know, into guiding in the area that you're in. Sure. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I've had a rod in my hand since the time I could walk. Um, I, uh, in high school, I bought my first car with money I made from uh, tying bucktail jigs. I went off to college and got a degree in marine environmental science. Um, after college, started my guiding career and been doing that for the past 20 years. Awesome. So um, I guide um, about a mile as the crow flies. I keep my boat from where I live, from where I grew up. Um, so it's um, been lucky to uh, fish the water body that I learned to fish on as a, as a, as a young kid. So, yeah, um, definitely. been, been, uh, been, been lucky with that. So, um, uh, it's, it's been all good. Yeah. I feel like you can, you can go to a lot of different areas and book a guide and it's rare to, to book a guide that has grown up in that area and fish that area. It seems like guides are, you know, transplanted all around, but, um, those are the guys that you want the guys that, that, that have been there their whole life and seen the change and really know it. So that's super cool. Um, well, tell me a little bit about, you know, your, your speckled trout seasons there. Um, you know, I, I feel like everywhere you go, it's kind of the, the fish change. There's better times of year to fish for, for speckled trout and there's better time, there's times that aren't as good. And so kind of take us through your seasons and, and what those look like there in, along the bay. Sure. Sure. So the Chesapeake Bay is the very Northern end of the range of the speckled trout, trout range from the Chesapeake Bay southward into Mexico. And, um, with the bay being the northernmost end of, of their travels, they tend to be very cyclical in the bay, um, where they are very dependent on the cold, how cold it gets in the winter. If we yeah. get a cold snap of a week of, um, you know, below freezing weather, it really will wipe them out. And we're kind of at ground zero uh, as far as rebuilding the stock. 
And then if we get several mild winters in a row, um, the population will kind of grow. And kind of the trend I kind of see is after a cold winter kill, kind of what happens is we'll see good spawns the following year, subsequent, subsequent years, where we'll have a lot of juvenile speckled trout. But during the winter, um, they will migrate south to North Carolina, and we don't get them back until the North Carolina population gets rebuilt. And then once that population starts getting big, you start seeing more fish moving into the bay and staying in the bay. I'd say probably 75% of our speckled trout migrating south to North Carolina for the wintertime. Um, I've, I've caught tagged fish from Jacksonville, North Carolina, um, up, up my way. They were tagged down there in the winter caught them up my way in the summer. Uh-huh. I've also done some tagging where um, I tagged a speckled trout, one of them that I tagged, I tagged in late October, and two weeks later is calling the surfeit hatteras. So they do definitely get around. Our, our speckled trout are definitely migra- more migratory than any other within the range. Um, they've done studies I've seen down in Florida, Louisiana, Texas, and those trout tend to stay just a few miles generally from where they're born. Yeah. Our speckled trout tend to get around. Um, so, uh, and again, we, I think we start seeing more kind of over winter as well as that population um, expands. And um, we're going to be in good shape if we get through this winter without a kill, get through the next couple months. Um, we're going to have a lot of speckled trout and some big ones. Um, one thing we do have when we get... numerous consecutive years where those fish survive we'll see some real big fish some you know 10 pound fish will be around um, this coming year um, barring barring the cold kill so um, we have some real trophy fish when when times are right so uh, it can be can be really good Uh, uh, talking a little bit about kind of the seasons and and everything. We do have some fish that overwinter um, on the bay. Um, We tend to see them go up more kind of um, more kind of brackish, tannic kind of waters um, in the winter times. Um, Elizabeth River um, and there's several other areas where uh, you will you have some overwintering fish, Rudy Inlet and a few other areas as well. But um, majority of our fish move south during the winter gotcha. and then um, in the spring they will will move back up and into the bay um, in my particular area I'm I'm based on the middle peninsula of Virginia which is on the western shore and it is a finger of land divided by the, the Rappahannock River to the north York River to the south and we tend to get a good push of fish in June, uh, July, as speckled trout are moving into the bay and up the bay. Um, middle of summer, a lot of those speckled trout have moved up uh, north of me, up to Tangier Sound. And then as things cool, cool down again, later September, October, early November, we'll get another big push of fish as they move south again and, and, and work their way south. Gotcha. So... So they're always, it's always, every year is always different. Some years it'll be good starting end of April and be real good all season long in the fall. Other years we'll have waves of a few weeks where it's excellent and then they just disappear. 
Uh, it really depends on the 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 size of that population. Yeah. Um, you know, the more fish we see, the more spread out they are, and the more available they are throughout the entire year. So I'm excited about the coming season. Uh, we're we're going to be in good shape um, for specks and the reds. A lot of our our juvenile our puppy drum redfish, shallow water reds. Um, are also driven by by the cold winter. Um, again, we're at the northern end of the range as well. So um, both of those species, we have real boomer bust seasons here in the bay. Gotcha. Yeah, it seems like y'all have some of the biggest redfish ever. You know, in the, I would say in the world, yeah. being at that northern yeah. range. Yeah, they're 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 some monsters. Um, you know, there's been uh, you know as you. You see, you see, that's one one fish, the big bull reds, um, that there seems to be um, more numbers of than, than in the past. I think protecting that breeding stock, you know, where you have the slot and you protect those big fish, that um, we're seeing, yeah, a lot, a lot more big reds in the bay. And uh, as you head off to the mouth of the bay, in particular, out in the mouth of the bay in the ocean, just outside the bay there's big schools and and out there i mean you catch good conditions and you can find these big schools of, of bulls just kind of cruising the surface um and a lot of the guys that go out and and do that really um can find them on a fairly regular basis kind of looking for a needle in a haystack they're just you know you're just out there just cruising looking around <laughs> yeah trying to find their cruising and you know they're not holding on structure or anything else so uh but yeah, there's some, some big bulls, big bulls out there. That's cool. Uh, would you say speckled trout is is one of your? Is that a fish that you really desire to pursue? Or is that a fish that you like to fish for yourself? Or yeah, you know, I mean, I think um, in the in the bay, you know, there's some diehard speckled trout fishermen. That's you know what they fish for, and that's all they want to catch. You know, um, so. Uh, you know, and I, I, I love, you know, my shallow water fishing. It's, you know, kind of uh, what I grew up on and and have always kind of enjoyed. So, yeah, specs, um, you know, I think they're the prettiest fish in the bay. And, um, you know, I, I enjoy the hunt and, uh, and and looking for them. So, yeah, I definitely, definitely like my specs. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, I, I really enjoy them too. For the longest time, uh, even into my guiding career, I was so redfish heavy sight fishing and um, I enjoyed speckled trout fishing, but it's like one day I just caught the bug of, of, you know, the speckled trout fishing bug. And I feel like once it gets you, it's hard to, hard to shake those fish. It's just a different, at least down where we are, it's a very different style of fishing than what we do for our redfish. Um, and it's a lot of fun. It's, and especially, you know, pursuing a large fish and, and trying to get a, you know, a big speckled trout is a lot of fun and it, and it takes time and it takes skill and, I think that's what's so addicting about it. I think that's why people enjoy us talking about speckled trout on podcasts so much because there's just so much to them and so much you can learn from other people. Um, real quick, kind of give me just the the driving factor for the movement of these fish. Would you say it's really kind of just the cold weather that pushes these fish in and out or, or food sources, or, or what do you think? Yeah, so there's several driving factors. I mean, Temperature, um, you know, definitely influences these fish where, as we spoke a little earlier, you know, the majority will, will push south to North Carolina right. every winter. And then as it warms, they'll come back up into the bay and 
the, a lot of them will spawn, you know, up, up in the bay. And um, then you'll have the little, you know, young of the year fish. They grow really quick. Um, it's amazing, you know, to see these little things and how fast fast they end up growing. Um, but, uh, you know, so so as, as your stock grows, we're seeing more up here. But um, as we talked a little bit, where we find them, um, wintertime, again, more tannic water, yeah. little more salinity waters. And they tend not to really hold as much on any type of structure, really. They're more kind of free roaming out in, I mean, you could have them a foot below the surface and 30 feet of water and no, nothing around really holding them. They're just kind of roaming, you know. Yeah. As we head into the warmer months, um, the shallows kind of become alive. You have uh, a lot of bait in the shallow waters, um, you know, crabs and, all sorts of, of different minnows, menhaden, um, you know, juvenile fish and shrimp. And so you've got a lot of forage. Um, kind of the shallows is where the light is yeah. in the warm months. So that's where where we find find our specs and where I like fishing for them um, is, uh, you know, the warmer months in that shallow water. And uh, we kind of look for... Uh, any you know you really can find them on a variety of different type of structure um depends just on the particular location but um you know of course grass flats um we used to have uh, a lot more eel grass um in uh in the bay and in my portion of the bay and that's a lot of that has really disappeared um in, in recent years, and I always found the eelgrass flats to be superior. We also get widgeon grass, which is another type of of submerged aquatic vegetation. Um, and and you'll find them some over the eel over the widgeon grass. But I always like the eelgrass better, but we don't see the eelgrass as much. It's a little bit cooler weather grass um, with the bay kind of warming, seeing a warming trend. Um, you don't see the eelgrass as prolific as it once was. Um, so we'll have the grass flats that we spoke of. Um, one thing uh, I like to kind of analogy I like to use um, when we're kind of looking at fish, any kind of fishing, but um, speckled trout as well is, you know, I kind of treat, treat the water body. You're kind of looking for that oasis in the desert where um, that small area, concentrated area, where the fish will hold so you know you want to go out there and focus your time and increase your odds by by locating an area where it's most likely going to hold fish so we talked grass flats you also have um oyster shell bottoms um oysters in the bay are like one percent of their historic levels um they've been overfished and disease and they've been pretty decimated um but um you still have some natural shell bottom and there's some areas where they've restoration sites where they've tried to bring the oysters back and those restoration sites can be good places to fish um some of them as well will have like uh oyster reef balls for the oysters to kind of grow on and that could add some habitat as well um so a lot of times um points um areas where you're going to get um you know, uh, moving moving water along a ch as you come up on a flat near a channel edge, um, anything kind of out of the ordinary, yeah. and and kind of looking for a 
combination of structure a lot can um, as well. Sometimes you might have a you know a pier, and then you might have some shell bottom and a little grass flat, and you get all this stuff together, um, and uh, it'll it'll be good likely places for the for the fish to congregate. Right on. Um, but yeah, there's there's some areas where you're like, man, you know, why do these fish hold here? And they just do. And, um, you know, a lot of it's just time on the water and figuring it out. But, um, yeah, there's some places where I'm like, man, you know, what, why, why is this spot so productive or, you know, and, um, it's, it's kind of hard, hard to figure sometimes, but, um, there's, uh, definitely, um, things that the fish see and, and, and everything. So, a lot of us just just put in that time and and you know you can uh you can learn a lot we'll talk a little bit you know a little bit about this kind of live chumming technique that i use but it, it it'll it really um t- shows you a lot and teaches you a lot about fish and where they hold and what causes them to hold there and, and everything else but any kind of structure we also in the bay have some uh what we call iron ore bottom. This is kind of hard, rocky, fossilized shell. There's a okay. meteor that hit the bay millions of years ago, and it kind of fossilized this shell, and there's this irony, I guess, maybe material from the meteor, but it's all kind of fused together. Most of the bay is just sand and mud, but it um, this iron ore-type bottom will give you some hard bottom structure, again, for, for um, that'll track life cool. and track your predator fish. Yeah. So we're just, um, you know, looking for areas um, that are going to, you know, attract bait and, and in turn attract predators is kind of what we're looking to do. How important there is is current? Because I know here in North Carolina, it's like we've got, you know, multiple different types of areas to, to target these trout. And like where I am in Wilmington, everything's current based. You know, we're fishing in the fall, you know, when the water's warmer. If you're not in the current, like... The, there's not going to be trout there feeding, but as it gets cooler and the fish will move into these out of current areas to burn less calories, like boat basins and canals and stuff. Cause in my area, we don't have big bays that are kind of, you know, out of the current. Um, those fish will start to sit, you know, off dock pilings and whatnot out of the current, um, and, and feed, you know, just as well that way. But it seems like if there's good current, they want it. If there's not, how, how does that, play for you up there in the bay are you looking for current oftentimes or are you kind of you know just fishing it when you have it um current seems on the areas i fish um you in the in the spring um as they're migrating up the bay they definitely seem to really key on areas where you're going to have increased current um again like points and stuff like that um then once they get to where they're it seems like it's head later into the season and and then into the fall again as well they're not so staged on relying on current as much um okay. more, it's more structure um and um but um Having moving water is the key. I find, you know, they particularly don't like, you know, up here anyway, really ripping hard, you know, strong, strong currents. Um, but, um, yeah, having that moving water is definitely a, a deciding factor. Up this way, the biggest factor, though, is um, 
you know, fishing low light, you know, during, you know, I'm kind of talking about the, the warmer months in the shallower water. Yeah. And, um, you know, they're really, really kind of definitely key time. Time of day is the biggest deciding factor. I'd pick that over tide anytime, over okay. current flow or anything else. Uh, <clears throat> there's places, um, you know, I can work throughout the day where I know, you know, I can fish here when the current's moving here and if it's slack here, I can go somewhere else where it's going to be moving again. And so I can kind of work around, um, current and tide. Um, but time of day here is, is the biggest factor. Um, one thing, um, you know, fishing, um, mornings generally, particularly in the springs and early summer mornings are more productive than afternoon evenings. Um, they are what we call a batch spawner where they spawn multiple times throughout spring and summer. And they do their spawning in the late afternoon, evening time frame. So when they're spawning, they're not keyed on feeding as much, which uh, I think is why you don't have so much as much success gotcha. in the spring and early summer in the afternoons. Um, fall, <coughs> excuse me. <clears throat> In the fall, the, ten, the fish tend to be uh, more aggressive, and they will feed in mornings and afternoons and basically throughout the day. Um, it seems they're trying to fatten up, um, bulk up, because they know winter's coming, and they're a little more aggressive. So, you know, if I had um, one thing I tell my clients is, is you know, we want to we want to really target that low light time of day for the specs um in our area they, they really are licensed yeah i see that same trend even here in the summertime if i want to catch speckled trout i mean i'll get some throughout the day randomly targeting redfish and deeper water but but that morning bite you know go throw a top water or you know something just subsurface first thing in the morning i'll catch trout for the first hour and then i'm kind of usually done with trout in the summer but in the in the fall i think it's exactly what you're saying it's colder they're trying to get as many calories as they can and they'll eat throughout the day really well. So um, I, I, that's that's it's cool to just see how these fish trends, no matter where you are, they're kind of they're the same species. But uh, well, let's talk a little bit. We we kind of got into spots, but maybe let's talk about. It. Do you see a difference in where you're catching your big big speckled trout as opposed to your numbers of speckled trout, or is it kind of more just catch a bunch of fish? Hopefully, some of them are big. There definitely are spots where you're gonna find bigger fish. Um, in spots where you might catch numerous small fish and sometimes there might be a little more of a mix um yeah. and where we are we we kind of can catch um kind of a mixed bag um i call our chesapeake shallow water slam of speckled trout striped bass and redfish and sometimes you're, you're fishing a spot yeah you'll, you'll catch all three um back to back you know kind of mixed together that's cool that's super but cool. uh yeah, you know, um, if you're you know, really serious about targeting big fish, um, you know, the, the big fish, I'd say, tend to like a little shallower water a lot of times um, than than the smaller fish will. Um, so don't you know, don't don't be scared to fish the shallow water if you're really really, really targeting that uh, that trophy fish. But um, what do you think pulls them into that shallow water? Do you think it's access to bait, less less work to find food to eat, or, or what is it? Yeah, I think it's you know, I think it's bait, um, and also I, don't, I think they're they're not as um, 
they're big fish tend to be a little more solitary and and don't seem to don't you know smaller trout seem to school up in, in bigger schools and um, the big fish can be more solitary and also um, you know I don't think they're as skittish as, as a small fish you yeah. know you know they're not worried about osprey diving and picking them off or right, whatever right. you know that makes sense but for sure. In the, warm, in the warm months, you know, the life's in the shallows, you know, so that's where, where your fish are at. Um, but, uh, again, that's kind of, it seems once that sun gets up and gets high in the sky, those fish will kind of start moving out of the shallower water, um, head to a little deeper water. So, again, that's that's a reason you want to want to get out there early. Yeah, definitely, definitely. It's uh it's always nice to, to be heading in when everyone else is hitting the water. I know that up in your area it can be busy and it's, it's fun to have caught your fish and be back at the dock as all the, all the, you know, joy boaters are getting out there on the water and they already be done with your day. But, um, Oh yeah. Well, let, let's kind of talk a little bit about, you know, when we had first started talking about doing this podcast together, I said, what are some topics, you know, that maybe you're interested in or that we could talk about? And you talked about live chumming for speckled trout. Uh, and I feel like, a lot of my buddies I've fished with down in South Florida do a lot of live chumming, um, and even in Georgia. But but it's something that you don't hear much of. I don't even know about in your area, you might. But but in North Carolina, there's not many people that I know of that are actually you know live chumming on a regular basis. And I think it's just kind of a a lost art in this area. So I'm I'm excited to kind of pick your brain about it. So take me through kind of what that looks like and how you know how how you use that to effectively target these fish and maybe make it even more productive. Yeah, so, you know, we'll kind of go back when I was 15, um, we took a trip to southwest Florida, snook fishing with a guide, and, you know, he cast out some pilchards and and live chum with them for snook, and I was like, man, you know, this this probably worked back home with, uh, with Menhaden, you know, so came back and, and kind of been doing it ever since, and to be honest with you, um, I probably wouldn't have started guiding and and wouldn't be you know a success in my area if if i hadn't kind of applied that technique wow. to the to our to our local fishery um it's something i do you know um, when we're every single day from you know end of may through october i'll i'll i'll, I'll do this and you know a lot of people that have never seen it or you know never tried it seen it in action you know they hear the word chumming and they think well you know you're just sitting anchored up waiting for something to happen but this is a very active and visual form of fishing um and and it's uh tells me as a guide a, a lot as far as you know conditions and what's happening and i let me read the water put my people on fish because with a, as a guide you're you know kind of you know a lot of times the odds are stacked against you you're not you might be you know the weather and you know the tide and this that and the other you know you're, you're not always out during perfect conditions so um you want to you know you, you might have some clients and this is their one day out of the whole year to fish yeah so you want to try to increase increase your odds and um you know make sure your clients have catch fish and have a successful day um so uh live chumming is something that, that lets me do that um basically what i what i do um you know start of the trip i'll throw my net um 
Ideally, we'll catch some uh, peanut bunker, juvenile menhaden, and load the live wells um, with the menhaden. Um, in the bay, uh, historically, menhaden have been our, our primary forage fish that all of our predators feed on. Uh, they have, their numbers have declined um, over the years. There's not as many as when I was a kid by far. And um, you know, some of that uh, could be due to we got a big um, commercial fishery, per se, fishery in the bay for Menhaden, um, where they fly around and these spotter planes, these airplanes, um, they can see the large schools of Menhaden from the air and they take some bigger ships out and launch these two smaller purse boats and circle of schools and then vacuum into the hull of the big ship. and. So it's a very effective means of fishing. They can they can really um, you know easily locate these big schools and, and and target these fish. So it's kind of a topic of controversy um, in Virginia. Virginia yeah. is basically the only state that still allows this to happen. Um, you know, so it's a real the the conundrum of the whole issue is that it's it's a, a localized kind of depletion where where there can be a plenty of menhaden along the entire east coast but here locally in virginia portion of the chesapeake bay they get hammered real hard um so we have um they they're targeting mainly the adult menhaden um h2 and older mainly um but I, I think it does impact. Um, we we just don't see the number of juvenile menhaden as well as we used to. We don't see the big menhaden or the small the juveniles as much. Mm-hmm. But um, the peanut bunker, the juvenile menhaden, basically will use the shallows as nursery areas during the warmer months of the year. So um, menhaden spawn out in the ocean, um, and uh, Early spring is when the, the March, say, is when you see the, uh, when they spawn primarily out in the ocean. And then the fry will travel into the bay, and the juveniles will be in the shallow water through late spring, summer, early fall. Gotcha. Then when the water cools, they move out to the open water again. Um, so I rely on those, those peanut bunker, the juvenile menhaden, and also... I will, um, if I see some larger menhaden, I'll throw the net and, and, and catch them. I've caught, you know, speckled trout, 20-inch speckled trout with a 10-inch menhaden hanging out of his mouth, and he's still still eating, you know, yeah. lures. Oh, yeah. So, so uh, you know, uh, it's surprising how, how those, you know, a, a 20-inch fish can, can target something half its size, you know. But uh, so the game game, again, is load the live wells and we'll pull up to a likely spot and then you know I'll toss over a few handfuls in the bait we'll spread out um, and starts you know, the, the nice thing with menhaden is when you throw out an individual fish it travels right on the surface and you can actually see them making a little V wake when it's calm and um, so they'll start swimming around and then um, you're looking for for feeding feeding activity of of, of your predator fish. Um, you know uh, you can uh, pull up to a spot. Sometimes you know we'll we'll pull in, be pulling into a spot, and there might have been a, a boat there fishing, and they're leaving, and they're like, man, you know we had any luck, you know nothing nothing happening, you know. So they pick up and leave, and 
I toss out some bait and you know within a few seconds boom you know fish are crashing the surface and um you know there was fish there they just they just weren't turned on you know the tide wasn't right or whatever they just weren't in a feeding mood but you get that live bait in the water and all of a sudden you see that surface activity and um you know so it's a real real visual thing where where you're seeing those the baits being smashed and thrown in the air and 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 everything in your sight casting to where you see that activity happening so it gives my clients um you know confidence that there are fish around yeah lets them know They're i get feeding. a lot of fly fishing right right so let's you know i get a lot of fly fishermen out and you know with speckled trout if you're fishing a, a flat or something you know they could be spread out you know you're not you know they could be here or there so um by by doing using this technique it lets my clients know where the fish at gives them something to cast to so they're not just out there flannel away blind cast and the fly not knowing where the fish are at and everything else yeah um and um, one neat thing too is you can once you get used to it you can determine the, the type of fish that are hitting the bait like speckled trout or kind of make a little bit of a sucking pop when they hit the hit the bait whereas um striped bass will make more of a tail slap Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then you might have Spanish mackerel that are zipping, th- thrashing, real fast through the bait. Um, so you can you can really tell the type of species. And um, like I say, if you wanted to target trout, you you can actually tell you know, hey, that's a trout over there that just hit, or hey, yeah, that's, that's a striper. Cool. And, and then you know, make your sight cast to 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 that particular fish. And um, one thing with trout too, when they feed. Um, that's a little different than striper, um, is that trout will come up and, and hit that bait and then he'll settle right back in that, in that same vicinity. Whereas, um, uh, a striper will hit that bait and then keep moving a lot of times. So, um, with the trout, you see that trout pop, get a cast in there, even though, even if you're, you know, a little late getting your cast into where you see the activity, he's still going to be right there yeah, a lot that's of cool. times. That's cool. Um, so uh yeah so it's kind of cool to to tell the different type fish the reds will make more of a deeper boil so you kind of can read the water and and tell what kind of fish you got around and there's times where you pull into a spot and you think the fish should be right here and then the bait scatters you know 100 yards down the shore and then you start seeing pow pow there they are you know on down there so then you know you move on down where those fish are at and you're not wasting time um fishing unproductive water um so it lets me lets me quickly determine what we have going on um you know sometimes i might have some novice anglers on the boat or whatever so you pull into a place and and if you didn't have the bait you know i might have to sit there you know wait you know um just to see hey if are there fish here or not you know so with with this technique i'm able to quickly tell hey you know we pull into a spot and we don't see activity within a couple minutes we're up and moving um you know like hey they're not here we're, we're moving to the next spot so it allows me to fish a lot more spots over a shorter period of time um if i'm not finding fish and sometimes you you know you hit this huge school of fish and you can sit there for hours and whale on them right um but there are days there are days where the fish aren't very active you know you might have had a front blow through and um you know a big high pressure sitting over you and the fish aren't aren't feeding aggressively 
And even with the bait, you might get those fish to turn on for a minute and then they shut right back off. Um, and then, you know, you don't see any activity like, all right, hey, we're going to pick up and move on to the next spot and move on to the next spot. It's the same thing. You catch them for a minute and then they shut off. But if if you didn't have the bait, you, you'd, you'd be out there getting blanked. Right. I mean, it, it really, it, um, it, it can, can save your day a lot of times. And it, you learn a lot, you learn a lot, um, uh, that you wouldn't otherwise learn. Um, you know, um, you're kind of attuned to, um, the different type of baits that are around and, and, and everything else, you know, um, like, uh, you know, I know which week in July the, the Bay anchovies are just are going to disappear, or I know in, where, when in June the adult thread herring are going to leave, or, you know, you, you learn, um, you know, kind of what current and tide are you going to find, you know, some silver sides at this one area, or what wind direction are you going to find some peanut bunker and this creek or, or whatnot. So you really get attuned to the all the different kind of life around and um you know sometimes you throw your net and you catch some oddballs fish you know you might catch a you know a striped burr fish or a harvest fish or you know a hog choker or something weird you know so you get to see all these different type of fish you normally wouldn't see yeah um so it's it's you know entertaining and educational for the for the for the clients and it's exciting um you know it lets you throw um you could throw top water, you know, of course, at at this at them, and, and um, throw top water throughout the day more than you would normally be able to, because um, you know you're you're getting these fish turned on, and um, so it's it's a great way to fish top water, great way to throw the fly at these fish, and um, you know it's exciting, you know, it really it gets you going, um, you know, when you when you see this this going on, you know. Um, it uh you know kind of gets your blood pumping to to see see that activity and that action on the surface and and everything so it's definitely a tool that i uh oh like i say i, I try to when i'm i'm fishing you know trout or striper or reds or whatever in the shallows um i always always try to find some some bait and um and it it really um it's a key to success in my area okay. and uh, Less me, less tells me a lot as a guide, as far as um, you know, reading reading what's there and um, letting me know, hey, um, the, you know, we're gonna hold in this spot because there's fish here. Or, hey, we're gonna pick up and, and go. We're not seeing anything, and we're and uh, you know, so we really can uh, focus, maximize our time on the water each day. For sure. Now, t- tell me this. Do you? really just see i mean are menhaden i've got two questions here really are menhaden really the main focus of what you're going to use will you use i don't even know if you have mullet but we use other bait fish and also uh, are are there certain types of areas that work real well i know we're gonna have people thinking like all right you know i'm in a i'm fishing a lot of deep windy creeks is this going to be a productive way to do that or or big open bays or, or stuff like that so First question is, you know, can you do it with different types of bait? Second question is, is what kind of areas are the best for it? Right. So, um, menhaden are prime. Um, you know, they're a real oily fish. Um, everything likes eating them. Um, 
and historically in our area they they're abundant um they they haven't been as abundant in recent years but um again they'll be cyclical some years well more than others um but we don't see as much as as we did so i do when they're scarce i have to try to round up something else if i can't find um you know menhaden so um you know i'll sometimes i mean i'll use little band shows or little silver sides um you know thread herring or um we don't get we get some mullet but we don't get a lot of mullet um so we don't get enough mullet to really use use them as as live chum um we in the late summer fall we'll, we'll get we're seeing more and more shrimp in the bay yeah um there's actually some guys that are starting a commercial um fish for the shrimp and in late fall winter off Virginia Beach cool. um, where there didn't used to be a fishery there um, so you can actually if you if you can catch a bunch of shrimp you, you know, I've, I've used I've used shrimp before but um, um, basically uh, y- you know Menhaden are prime but if I'm in a tight spot I'll, I'll use other stuff as well yeah definitely definitely now, like I was saying too, is there the spot spot selection? I mean, right. is there some areas that doesn't work well? Um, you know, um, you don't. One advantage of it um, is too. Uh, I might have some fly fishermen on the boat, and yeah. we might hit a spot that has a lot of current and is might be twenty feet deep. You know, might be fishing a deeper spot, and on my depth finder, I can mark some fish down there in the structure. But they can't reach them with the fly, so with the bait, I can get that bait in the water, and those, and then it brings those fish right to the surface. Wow! Um, so you're able to, um, you know, again, you're able, especially with fly anglers, you're able to bring those fish right up, and they can throw poppers at them, you know. Um, so, true. so it's, um, you, you know, it, it really, um, any as long as the fish are there. You know, it, it really will work in, in any type um, gotcha. location. Um, yeah, that's cool. That's super cool. Yeah, I, I, my, as you're sharing all this, my wheels are turning of like, yeah. you know, where can I start to do this? And I've thought about the live chumming before, and I've done it in small ways, but but really right. not not to right. where I've made yeah. it part of my program. Yeah, like you say, it's um not something that um, is really done on the Mid-Atlantic. Um, you know, again, I, I borrowed it from from florida you know because like you say they do it down there yeah. quite often uh, but um it definitely definitely works um in in my area and is is uh you know a big big key to my my success and putting clients on fish and and everything else and um and like i say it's it's exciting it's exciting to you know definitely. see that activity you, you know just to watch and watch the fish feed is is um it's fun. Yeah. You know, it's get you, get your blood pumping. Yeah, I agree. It, it is, it is for sure. And, and I think it's something that people are going to take from this podcast and be able to apply in a lot of, a lot of scenarios here. I mean, there, there's definitely some areas here that I'm thinking of where I'm like, God, there's already so much bait there, but then there's other areas, you know, where the current's a little bit slower and, and I know it's going to be, be a productive, a, a productive outing for sure. Right. And, and a lot of times, you know, um, when you have a big pot of bait, you you know, we might be fishing a spot and we see a school of menhaden or banchos or whatever, you know, and, and, you know, there's nothing feeding on them, but 
I throw in some, you know, individual fish, and all, all of a sudden, boom, 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 they're getting picked gotcha. off. Gotcha. That's when cool. Baits in a big, baits in a big ball. Um, you know, the reason bait kind of schools up is for protection. And when it's in a big ball, predators have a hard time getting at it. Um, but if it's individual fish, bait fish, minnows swimming along the surface, they pick them off in a heartbeat. Um, so, uh, yeah, just, just um, you know, because you see a big school of bait and it's not getting busted on, doesn't mean there's not fish, fish in that area. Um, you know, and, um, and uh, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty, you know, kind of, kind of, uh, you know, something you, it's kind of unusual to see, you know, because, because you think, well, if these fish are here, why aren't they hitting that bait, you know, but they just can't get at it because it's, you know, unless it's a big, big school of, uh, predators breaking up that, that bait ball. Yeah. The um, bait's going to win, you know, the bait's going to win. And, um, so, uh, yeah, it's just that, that individual, you know, bait here or there swimming on its own is when they get picked off. Um, so, uh, you know, that, that definitely is something that you notice. And, and like you say, you, you learn, you learn, uh, a lot, you know, you're always, you know, I think you become more attuned to your, to, to, to what's in the water and what's around and, and, and all that kind of stuff. And, so, and you get to know, you know, from a distance, you can see, tell why, you know, where the water's moving. Oh, that's a school of you know, silver sides, or that's a school of thread herring, or, you know, you can tell the different types of, of bait and, and everything else just by the way they look on the water and and all that kind of stuff. And I think it helps you become a better angler in general. Um, but it's, uh, like I say, it's it's definitely a tool in my box that um, helps me helps me do my job on a daily basis. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's visual and exciting to see. For sure, for sure. Well, Man, I think that's such a great tip, and, and and I appreciate you coming on and sharing with us. We're kind of we're already at about fifty minutes here, so I think we're going to go ahead and wrap it up. And like I said, you guys, we're going to have Chris on again for sure to talk about. You know, there's so much fishing that goes on up there, the striper fishing, the red fishing, and and whatnot. So um, we are going to slide on to Patreon and talk a little bit more about trout fishing and some of the lures. I think that Chris likes to use when, when targeting these fish, but. We're going to wrap it up here unless Chris has anything else that, that you want to share that you felt like maybe you missed out on. If not, no worries at all, and we'll, we'll finish it up here. Well, I think I think we're good. Sweet. I Sweet. appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for sure. Thanks. Definitely, definitely. Well, guys, thanks for checking out another episode of Eastern Current. Like I said, head on over to Patreon if you do want to continue this podcast a little bit and learn a little bit more from Chris. Thank you all. Later.